Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. With Rob Gilbert on the bench, you're with Will and Van Denderen and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news shortly, and of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. With the A-League men's finals upon us this week, we'll take a deep dive into the competition's minnows, who have again defied expectations and made the finals for the second season running. They are, of course, the Central Coast Mariners under Nick Montgomery, and they're going to be the only side of New South Wales's five uh, to be playing at the pointy end of the season. This week, they've also announced some major changes to their board, with the owner of Anytime Fitness, Richard Peel, appointed to that board. We'll take up the story with Harkon Barry from the Central Coast News. Following that, we'll look at the form of the Matildas and Socceroos around the world. Then, we'll welcome in the Athletics man on the Celtic beat, Kieran Devlin. We'll chat about the heroics of Ange Postacoglu and what will be remembered as a famous day for both the Australian football public and those at Celtic. And of course, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Michael Edgley, welcome to the show once again. You've been up on your travels in New South Wales. Tell us about the uh, the past week just gone. Oh, well, I had some uh, work up there and uh, I enjoyed going to see some uh, NPL women's uh, and NPL men's competition up in Sydney. It was a beautiful weather and good to get out uh, and see some of the local clubs. But what about the end of season fireworks from Matilda's skipper, Samantha Kerr, who scored two worldies to drag her team, Chelsea, to a final day triumph. Chelsea twice coming from behind to secure the Football Association women's Super League Championship on the final match day. Bravo, Samantha. And on the eve of that match, she confided in her uh, Chelsea teammate, Erin Cuthbert, I'm going to score a worldie tomorrow. Sam, you were wrong. You scored two. And how good were they, Willem? Let's take a listen now. Here she is looking for another one and gets another one. And the title is short now, Chelsea's. Mistake to the back for Manchester United, and when it came to Sam Kerr, instinctively she knew where the goal was. And during the simultaneous kickoff, Michael, uh, Arsenal defeated West Ham with Steph Catley scoring the second. So had Sam not have uh, twice got the bit between the teeth and lifted uh, Chelsea to that win over Manchester United, uh, twice they were down and ended up uh, prevailing 4-2, uh, they wouldn't have won their third consecutive uh, women's title there in England. So definitely getting the job done uh, when it was most needed. Steph Catley, her first goal for Arsenal this season was a belter too. So on any given day, that would have been goal of the round. Uh, she was trumped by her Matilda skipper, Samantha Kerber. And in other important women's football news, Western United have been admitted in the A-League's women competition for next season. And it's also going to be include a 20-round season, a full home and away fixture, 11 teams, one by 20 rounds and uh, a full home and away fixture. So that is massive news for women's football going into the Women's World Cup year. How good is women's football in Australia, William? William, it's going well, um, Mick. Um, So what is that actually going to mean? Obviously, it's going to mean more matches and with the addition of the 11th team, uh, Western United, obviously another, what's that, sort of 15 or 16 uh, places for for young female footballers in Australia to to strut their stuff and have the platform uh, to kick on. But what's it going to mean in the short term, the home and away season, the full 20 matches, and what's it going to mean down the track? They've been desperately looking for a full home and away season, so there's integrity 
around the competition and also um, extending um, the competition by that amount of rounds will ensure that players have an option to uh, commit to one club rather than play um, you know, in the summer for your A-League women's club and then have to find a place in the winter, whether that's in the NPL competitions in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland or overseas in Scandinavia that we see so many of the fringe Matildas playing in. So it's just a, a further step in the right direction to create a pyramid that allows uh, women, young women to transition into uh, full-time footballers rather than part-time footballers. And there's still a, a few other uh, planks of that uh, pyramid to be put in place, but it's a step in the right direction. I think it's a very welcome news and anybody in women's football, um, they'll be happy. No doubt about it. Let's head abroad. Celtic have won. The Scottish Premiership has mentioned off the top with a game to spare after a one-all draw at Dundee United on Thursday morning our time. The title marks a complete turnaround for a club that finished second by 25 points last season and it should be remembered as well, trailed by six points as recently as Boxing Day. For Ange Postacoglu, it's his sixth National League trophy. Here he is speaking to Sky Sports in front of a packed away end at Tannadice. Uh, yeah, pretty special, mate. Um, probably first time this year I'm lost for words. Um, just an enormous effort, really proud of the players, the staff, our supporters, everyone involved, you know, we, uh, no one gave us much of a chance at the start of the year, and um, to, to do what they've done this year, achieve the ultimate is, uh, is an unbelievable effort. And Michael, in a fortuitous bit of move, a uh, bit of news rather for Celtic, they're going to be straight into the Champions League. No need to play any qualifiers, a few changes there from UEFA to the qualification uh, mechanism, if you like, and it's going to be Celtic straight through. How good? Yeah, um, absolutely amazing. 32 to 36 teams. There's all sorts of changes, which we'll go through in a little bit more detail in stoppage time. Um, but yeah, Celtic won't have to go through the, uh, the repertoire charge like they've done previously. So Ange Postacoglu, it's been his dream, Willem. It's been his dream to enter the Champions League, and he's got an opportunity. He's at the big dance with with uh, one of the greatest um, clubs uh, of all time in Champions League history. So, um, can he restore Celtic's um, European night frenzy? Uh, only time will tell. But he's going to have at least um, four home matches at at, uh, at Parkhead. Um, four, yeah, four home matches at. Uh, Celtic's home ground to enjoy. Look forward to welcoming in Kieran Devlin from The Athletic later on in the show to touch on that in detail. Let's have a look at the A-League. Melbourne City have become just the second side in the A-League era at least to win consecutive premierships, sealing the deal with a 2-1 win on Monday night before three sets of fans, Michael. Needing City to slip up, victory fans filled the away end to cheer on the Knicks, but fair play to City. They needed a win and they removed any real stress and had two in the net inside 10 minutes. Here's Scott Jamison, City captain, of course, speaking about the victory fans, getting amongst it and giving it City. Look, I've got to say firsthand, and, and, I, and there's no sarcasm, um, I give a massive kudos to, to the Victory fans for turning up. Um, yeah, they tried to do anything they could to, to gain an advantage for their team, and I can only respect that. Um, you know, I, I only respect passionate fans who, who turn up in the game and, and don't go overboard, but you know, support their team, so you know, full credit to them. Well said there by Scott Jamison. I think, Michael, only healthy for the game that Victory fans care that much that they'd roll out to a, a match that their team wasn't playing in. But, of course, had uh, had big implications for them. That leaves the first weekend of the finals, the elimination finals, looking like this. Saturday at 7.45, we're going to have Western United host Wellington at Amy Park. And then on Sunday afternoon at 4.05, Adelaide hosting the Central Coast Mariners at Hindmarsh. Uh, and long-term observers, Michael, of the A-League, of which you are one, uh, seem 
in general to be pretty happy about the return of the two-legged semi-final. What do you make of the return of an old final system? Those uh, regular listeners to Box to Box will know that I rate the Premiership. Uh, what Melbourne City have won last weekend, has been, well, last Monday night, has been the ultimate, and the finals are a bit of a sideshow. I mean, Willem, you're probably the other way round. Um, um, Australian uh, sporting culture love uh, a playoff module, so I'm really not too concerned too much about it. But I do like this finals format better because it gives the top two teams the best opportunity to take out uh, to one to qualify for the for the grand final and two to take it out so that's what i like about this format uh michael the super classico drama has reached ahead this week argentina have pulled out they're not coming to melbourne they're not coming to the g uh and they've left victorian events and sports minister martin Pakula pretty pissed off he reckons match agents pitch informed the Vic government argentina aren't going to travel the distance although the argentine fa haven't made any comment to this point the withdrawal comes following fifa's ruling that the clash would not count as the outstanding world cup qualifier that was postponed last september and that i guess is the kicker Michael, they're not coming out here for a hit and giggle. They wanted to tick the box and play that World Cup qualifier. And if they're going to have to do that in Brazil and Argentina, this is, head to Wembley to play Italy. Uh, they're not coming out here. No, um, duty allegiance, Willem. Anybody who knows anything about football would have thought that this was a, a bridge too far for FIFA to approve a World Cup qualifier outside of the designated home confederation. It would have created all sorts of precedents uh, down the track for similar things and um and yeah i'm just um, um not surprised that this would happen so martin pakula might uh spin it that he's pissed off but i think brother he should be red-faced and embarrassed because they shouldn't have announced this until fifa had given it a tick manchester city have reached an in agreement in principle with Borussia Dortmund for the purchase of Erling Haaland with City to pay the strikers buyout clause of 108 million Australian. 21-year-old Haaland has scored 85 goals in 88 for Dortmund since he moved from RB Salzburg in 2020. His father, Alfie, is a former Manchester City player and he had recently, uh, until recently, been managed by the late Mino Raiola. Michael, this indicates a fair shift in system for Pep Guardiola to introduce a big dominant number nine on top of the, the system that he's been sort of crafting over the past five or so years and uh, I mean, it's it's a bit of an easy sort of narrative to point to. There's been plenty of chat about it this week. Uh, Guardiola, in terms of how he's fared with his number nines, he had Samuel Eto'o at Barcelona, that worked. He then had Zlatan, that of course famously didn't work. Uh, but Robin Lewandowski had him at Bayern. So varying degrees of success. I know Derek's got some strong thoughts on this uh, for later in the program, but just now quickly, how do you think Pep's going to massage in uh, a player as dominant as Haaland? Well, he's six foot four. He's a battering ram with all sorts of talent and skill. He'll score goals, and uh, uh, any coach, any manager in any club around the world would have him in their starting lineup in the number nine spot every day of the week. Bring it on. And finally, UEFA have approved the expansion of the Champions League from 32 sides to 36 from 2024-25. Each team is going to play eight games over 10 match days. Work that out. UEFA didn't proceed with plans to grant two positions to clubs based on past European performance. Alexander Seferin, ever the good guy, has said the dream to participate will remain for all clubs. So we need to find four additional places. Two of those are going to depend on the performance of a country's club in Europe from the previous season. So they'll be rolling 
controlling slots and this year it would be the Premier League and Eredivisie hypothetically that would have been rewarded the third place is going to go to the third finishing team in UEFA's fifth ranked nation and the fourth will go to a nation whose champions didn't direct uh, didn't qualify directly they've got to go through UEFA's champions path now Michael if you can get your head around that you're a genius I think they make these things deliberately convoluted so that uh, they can uh, bring in place the measures that they want and make sure the good sides are there uh, yeah uh, extra levels of, of bureaucracy and confusion that the maybe the, the less attuned but still uh, keen football follower might be sort of confused or put off by and that uh, gets uh, UEFA's UEFA's decisions through. Uh, the word appeasement, we don't hear it too often uh, in European politics. Uh, with what's going on in Ukraine, there's no appeasement there. But there's plenty of appeasement with UEFA and the big clubs and um, the people that were the prime movers in the old Super League have been rewarded in this new format. And Derek will um, share his views about that in stoppage time, so stick around to hear that. But what about Chile? What about Chile? The Socceroos were gearing up to play UAE and then Peru, but it might not be Peru. It could be Chile because they've accused Ecuador of fielding an ineligible player. Chile last week asked the World Football Governing Body FIFA to investigate allegations that right-back Byron Castillo is actually a Colombian. Byron! And and he's not eligible to represent, represent Ecuador. And it appears that uh, FIFA may agree with this. Um, they are looking into it. They've confirmed that they're looking into the complaint by Chile um, and that it is possible that uh, Colombia could be, uh, sorry, that um, Ecuador could be disqualified from qualifying for the World Cup, which means Peru would get the automatic qualification spot and Chile, they would be in the playoff against the winner of Australia in UAE. So, oh my God, Graham Arnold and his team now have got to do a lot more research in the event that this decision goes one way or the other. Mm, oh, my God. Lord. No, we'll be watching that space with keen interest over the coming weeks. Michael, good to get that first segment out of the way. Thank you. On the other side of this, we're going to bring in Hawk and Barry from Central Coast News. The Mike Charlesworth era at Central Coast Mariners, it seems like it's gone on forever. No one's particularly enjoyed it. Is it over? We'll ask Hawken next. Box to box. Can you the Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Well, not long ago they were unreasonable, yet no less noisy calls for the Central Coast Mariners to be removed from the A-League, as the Gosford Club spent years mired at the foot of the table with seemingly no way up. But over the past two campaigns they've been the story of the league, just about, and now look to have their off-field matters sorted as well. To discuss the latest development in the state of the club's ownership and look forward to their finals campaign, we welcome in Hawken Barry of Central Coast News. Hawken, welcome to box to box Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we'll start with the impending ownership change. The Mariners put out a press release this week stating that Richard Peel, who is the owner of Anytime Fitness uh, has joined the board and will become chairman of the club in place of Mike Charlesworth in a little bit. Uh, overall, given the, uh, the the tension across the uh, the journey with Mike Charlesworth, uh, would you say this looks like a positive move for the club? Well, there's always po- there's a positive coming out of this, and the public are of course focused on the team themselves performing at their best. We've been very happy to see the shift in fortunes in the Mariners over the past two years, and so we're hoping that this fresh injection of finance will uh, focus itself on ensuring results on the field. 
And before we look at what Peel can bring to the club, let's just touch on the Charlesworth era. Uh, has been a vexed one, as I said. He hasn't put much money in at times. There's been constant talk of, of relocation and possibly selling to owners who would look to move the club away from the Central Coast. But at the same time, someone does have to put the money in and someone has to own the club and he's been there for a long time. So how do you think the fans and the club are going to reflect on his era? Well, when news came out that there was talks of relocating the Mariners, it got the Central Coast public up and roar about it. It's really our, you know, our testament to world sport having our, our local team here playing on the professional scene. Um, what we, what the Mariners need to focus on is putting the their money into the right areas. With Richard Peel, it won't change that the Mariners will have any more money than the top teams in the A League, and so really, it's about putting those funds into the right areas, and it's. It, it will, and Richard Peel has shown his intentions to put those resources into funding the coaching staff as well as the players and the sports science department. So not so much looking to grab big names or big signings. It's looking to to build the the club from the from the foundations. Huckin, what do we know about Richard Peel? We understand that he was the founder of Anytime Fitness. That's where he's. Um, made his wealth. Um, he's obviously franchised that um, gymnasium, the 24-hour gymnasium around uh, Australia and Australasia. What about, uh, he's lived in Canberra for a long time. He was also a, a semi-pro in his younger days. He played in the very uh, conference and lower leagues of England. And he's he has a son in the Central Coast Academy. He's moved up to the Central Coast not too long ago. Um, what do we know about him? And, and, and do you think the community of Gosford and surrounding Central Coast is going to welcome a character like Richard Peel? Yeah, well, Richard has introduced himself as somebody who's more of a fan than a financier. And I think that's definitely the kind of character which the Central Coast can get behind. Uh, having his son in the academy, potentially egging on his decision to get involved with the club. But uh, ultimately, he's, he seems to be putting a focus on the academy on building up the Mariners as a as a club that begins at the junior level, and so only time will tell if he's able to do that. And so the the fans are really just eager and hoping for those results to come in. Richard has to go through the fit and proper person test and be ticked off by the um, APL, his uh, fellow cl- or the fellow clubs of Central Coast, as well as Football Australia. Are you hearing that, uh, it, what's the word out of the club? Are, are they expecting that is a formality and uh, then he'll transition into the, the chairman's role? And is that, uh, from, a, from a Central Coast perspective, does that mean that, no more Mike Charlesworth. He's, he's out the door for good. The club has announced that Mike Charlesworth will resign as director on the board once the approval processes of uh, Football Australia and the Australian Professional League is completed. And so that's all in the works. And yeah, it is the intention of the club to promote Richard to the board and as director. So what about Mike Charlesworth? What is the current relationship between him and the local community in Gosford? The community have wanted a more, I guess, more of a faith to their club, and they haven't always seen the the, uh, the enthusiasm from the top and in you know, resounded in the team and in the decisions. And so uh, 
really just hoping for perhaps a, a different face out of Richard Peel, who's more engaged in the community, more looking to involve the team with the community and promote their involvement when it comes to game day and, and everything else. More of a relationship between the team, a professional team, mind you, but one who's been brought up on a, a really community-focused uh, regional part of New South Wales. The Mariners, uh, another stint in the finals. It's uh, very, very exciting. There is a bunch of young players that are making their way and there seems to be a special energy around the club and uh, Nick Montgomery seems to have um, really well and truly um, stamped his style on the club. Uh, They're fighters. Um, They've got enough results to get in the finals. What are the expectations? What are people in Gosford saying to you? Hakan, about uh, you know just how far the club can go in the finals. Yes, well, everyone's obviously very excited. It's a similar position to last year, but the lead into this finals is the best it's ever been. Uh, the hot form of the Mariners is really putting them in the best possible position to take this this upcoming game against Adelaide, uh, you know, by the neck. But the only concern for them being is that their opposition coming in with a almost you know almost almost exactly the same run and so both teams are going in with full of full of confidence and so it's really going to be uh, we're expecting a very exciting match uh the mariners will need to show some form which they've begun this year in performing well away from home at central coast stadium and gosford the hometown fortress they tend to play at their best except now going to cooper stadium uh, a, a pitch where they recently haven't pulled out great results they're going to have to push themselves to a new level to work under the you know the the blares of the away crowd and especially in a final setting there's been obviously a lot of um talk about the uh non-selection of oliver uh, bozanich oli bozanich um there is there is um scuttlebutt around that um he had a uh, trigger um, in terms of the number of games played that he could have got an extra year at very lucrative wages and that the club hasn't been selecting him to avoid having to uh, tack on another year at big money. What is the um, mood around Bozanich? Because uh, there's a lot of good judges uh, suggest that the team is better with him in it. And uh, now that they're in the finals, um, you know, what is the what is the latest on, uh, on Bozanich's situation? Mm, well, obviously the Mariners, uh, try to keep those details very close to their chest and results speak for themselves when Bozanic, uh was uh, when he left the, the first team uh, the Mariners went through the works earlier in the year around February and March uh, they were losing games on the on the run on the run and uh, on tour and so at which point there was a lot more call in the community as to what was going on with Bazanic, who was playing, scoring goals earlier in the season and seemingly leading the team very well. Uh, seeing the recent performances of the Mariners, I think has given many people confidence in uh, head coach Nick Montgomery's focus on his youth to perform. And so far, they've been able to do that extraordinarily well. So, of course, there is now an added pressure in being in a final setting which will test their experience. It certainly will. Um, so what's your prediction on the crowd um, up at Central Coast and what's the prediction on the result? Oh, it's going to be a full crowd and it's going to be a Mariners win, of course. Before I let you go, I uh, just want to ask about 
uh, the impact of Jason Cummings and Marco Urania, who have come in over the past uh, two seasons. How important has it been for football in the region uh, to have two big draw cards who play up front, who have plenty of firepower and stick the goals in? Uh, as I said, prior to the uh, the Stagech and now the Montgomery era, uh, it had been a pretty dire run for the Mariners for, for a long time, but now there's two players who uh, the kids can get the names of the uh, of their names on the back of the shirts and fans can hitch their uh, wagon to two big personalities and two, not marquee, but certainly draw card names. Yeah, well, it's been brilliant watching them play for the team, Marcos for two years and, and coming for half a season now. Uh, we've seen from the Mariners a lot of great injections from the academy, although they tend to be fitting themselves into the defensive and midfield quarters of the field. So uh, Dick Montgomery has looked overseas for his forward pack and I think that's been an area which on the coast and perhaps broad, more broadly in the nation, has been a bit more difficult to fill. And so finding those players who can come and bring international experience to the team. And beyond that, to mix well amongst themselves and in the Australian format. So Marcos, of course, brings South American football style with him and Cummings is just a straight shooter and a hard runner. So being able to, over a very short amount of time, meld together has been, been uh, it's been really quality to watch. And just to bring it back to Richard Peel and, and uh, what his hopes are for the club, one of his priorities is stabilising the coaching and playing roster. On the, on the coast, we often see really good quality international players come into the team but don't stay long and move on to other things. And so there's a suggestion from Peel that he's really going to focus on once finding these quality players who are scoring goals or whatever their role is, if they're performing, holding on to them for the long term or at least the medium. And a final one, I mean, we speak about uh, Cummings and Arena as the uh, the stars of the side, but really the uh, the big story here uh, is the understated Nick Montgomery. Uh, just reflect on his first season uh, with the club, could you please? It must have been so deflating when Stajic lifted the club up the ladder, made the finals, and then departed just as quickly. Was it sort of beyond your wildest dreams that Montgomery could not only uh, keep that momentum going, but to, to go one better? Yes, it was, a, it was a, an unsure period towards the end of last year and starting this year. Uh, we weren't sure what to expect from Nick, Nick Montgomery. Of course, he had some good international experience, but I think more than anything, his knowledge of the club from the position of an academy coach in previous years has been his, his greatest uh, help in figuring out where the where the points of chemistry are for his team. Uh, having confidence in young players who other coaches who haven't had the time with them would overlook and seek you know, older, more experienced players or perhaps new signings to fill. And so I think it's really his long-term uh, focus and interest in the team, which is prepared and best for the role. And I think that is a sentiment which Richard Hill wants to pick up on and which the club want to focus on, something which is locally developed and with the focus on the coast and showing what our region can do for Australian football. Well, Hawken, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the program. We'll watch the Richard Peel-Mike Charlesworth transition uh, with keen interest and all the best to the Mariners on Sunday. Thank you very much. All the best to you. Hawken Barry from the Central Coast News there. Stick around. On the other side of this, Michael and I will go through Socceroos and Matilda Central and have a look at a few of the other tidbits kicking around the Australian game. Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
Great chat with Hawken there. All the best to the Mariners on the weekend. Let's hope that things can turn around off the pitch because they are a fantastic club and they deserve all the best. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Michael, packages are, of course, on sale now for the Socceroos Playoff Tour in June, which features 11 nights in Doha and three of the highest quality international fixtures you will possibly see. It's going to be all on the line. Uh, places are filling fast, though, Michael, aren't they? So you'd better book quickly at ggatravel.com.au. Yes, uh, come along and join us. All sorts of fun stuff planned, including um, the edge of the seat uh, uh, AFC and FIFA intercontinental playoffs. That's a mouthful for anybody. Certainly is. Now, the tour, unfortunately, isn't going to take in the friendly against Jordan, but it is important that the Socceroos get a bit of match fitness in their legs. Uh, That's going to be played a week prior to our crunch clash against the UAE on June 1 in Doha, uh, and twice the Socceroos defeated Jordan 1-0 in this World Cup qualifying cycle. So uh, is there anything to look into there, Michael, or just get who's available? No, I think it's important. Obviously, um, these matches are hugely important for the Federation and the Socceroos and Australian football. So uh, they'll get there a little earlier than anticipated. Um, the squad obviously um, uh, all finishing up um, the European club and uh, Asian club commitment. So the squad will be able to get together early and enjoy a warm-up match, which will help, no doubt, uh, for the preparation for the match against the UAE. Uh, we, we need um, time together. There's no doubt about that. So um, I think that's a good move by the Federation to organise that game and um to Jordan, um, thanks for doing that. One man who I definitely have in that squad is Denis Jean Rowan. Don't things just keep getting better for him? He scored the title-winning goal in the French second division for Toulouse this week, only a week after they celebrated promotion, of course. Denny came off the bench and not two minutes later had netted the winner against Nîmes. A tough day at the office again, though, for Jackson Irvine, Michael. He actually did all the legwork and helped St Pauli to a 2-0 lead with two uh, classy assists and two very good finishes from the striker they've got there at uh, St Pauli, only to watch the scoreline fritter away to 3-2. So, as we said last week, they're going to have to reset and go again next season. Uh, but good news in Croatia for Anthony Kalik. Two goals for Gorica in a 3 all draw against Lokomotiva Zagreb. Bailey Wright and Sunderland are headed back to Wembley with promotion on the table. They've overcome Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 on aggregate across their semi-final. Both Wright and Maslowongo played every minute of the tie for Sunderland and Chef Wednesday respectively. And it was won at the death by a Black Cats goal in the 93rd minute. So Michael, Sunderland against Wickham May 22. And we had Bailey on when he just got into Sunderland. They'd just slipped down to League One and he, he told us how important uh, it would be to be part of uh, a famous old club getting back closer to where they belong. Absolutely. And um, if you've seen the photo of Bailey after that uh, last game of the season, uh, you'd notice he had blood all over his face and shirt. It was a bruising encounter and um, and Sunderland are setting themselves for uh, playoff uh, glory at Wembley and uh, to get up a division. And for those people that have watched Sunderland Till I Die, I'm sure many have uh, of on various streaming services. We've all got a special understanding of that uh, Newcastle suburban uh, club that they are. We've got an update too on our man Clem Morfuni and Swindon Town, who Tom Smithies helped uh, us become invested in last week. The promotion dream is still alive. They've wiped the floor with Walsall 3-0 and now face Port Vale in a two-legged semi-final. So those matches are going to be played on Sunday night and Friday morning. I'm sure all Australians will be saying, up the town, Michael. Uh, let's have a look at our Matildas. Hayley Rasso. Just before we have a look at the Matildas, yeah. uh, I know this is not Australian-related, but we missed it in News 1. But um, very best of luck to Luton Town, Huddersfield Town, Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest who start their playoffs um, uh, for the for the promotion uh, into the um, the final at Wembley Stadium for uh, the championship uh, final and that last spot in the Premier League. So some big names there: Sheffield United, Nottingham Forest, Huddersfield Town, Luton Town, and a big shout out to John Beckham over at Nottingham. I'm sure he can't wait to see uh, 
uh, his men go around and uh, who knows, they get over the top of Sheffield, they might just get to the Premier League. Let's have a look at those Matildas. Hayley Rasso and Alana Kennedy, they were in the thick of the final day's action for Manchester City. Uh, Kennedy played the full match and Rasso drew a penalty in their 4-0 win over Reading. So that's good news for City. That secures third and Champions League football for City. So from an Australian perspective, we're going to have representation across all three of England's uh uh, the, the English sides in the Champions League next season. To France, Michael Mary Fowler was on the score sheet. Uh, she scored Montpellier's third in a win that takes them up to fifth with two matches to play, so maybe some Champions League football for Mary as well. Ellie Carpenter and Lyon conceal another domestic title this week. They only need to draw when they travel to the side who are, of course, in second, PSG. And finally, Claire Polkinghorne, who finds the net pretty often these days, you'd have to say, scored for Vizio in a two-all draw with Hammerby. Uh, Katrina Gorry played the full match alongside Polkinghorne, while Courtney Nevin did likewise for the opposition. Michael, time for you to give us an update on the feats of Melina Rez. Uh, she has netted her first goal for a new club uh, this week and received a bit of a write-up in the local rag. Well, she's playing for Bredebeck in the Iceland top tier and uh, she scored two goals on her starting debut. So uh, they've won two, lost one and sitting uh, second on the ladder. So uh, well done to Melina. Um, and that's a good start for her uh, European football uh, career. So well done. I'm just going to read a little excerpt from the uh, from the, the the piece, and now this has been translated. Keep in mind, she seems to be a strong striker. Her statement now was just, "I have come into this department, and I am going to do something," said Helena Olafsotidor. Margaret was particularly fond of Blicker's first goal of the game and liked what she saw from Ayres. This is a centre. She's always smelling something upstairs. You can see it there. She is smelling. She is on her toes and always expecting the ball into the area. There you go, Michael. Oh, that's a good description of Molina. Those people who have been watching A-League Women would know that Molina is, is capable of that. But what about the young Matildas? The young Matildas who've got the sneaky acceptance into the 2022 FIFA World Cup Costa Rica, the under-20 version, that is. Um, they um, have learned who their opponents will be. And believe it or not, they've joined Costa Rica. So they will kick off on Wednesday, the 10th of August, in Estadio Nacional in San Jose in Costa Rica in front of 65,000 people. They're going to play the home nation. They then play Brazil on the 13th of August, and then they finish up with Spain. So they've got the CONCACAF champions, the South American champions, and the European champions in their group. Oh, God. Uh, oh, God. Is that a group That's of death? Right. That, that is a group of That's death. That's a group of and death. You've got to, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. So the young Matildas... They're in camp. And don't forget, the young Matildas, there is some pretty impressive names that are going to be available or, or in the age group for qualification. And that's uh, probably the benefit of um, blooding some of these players. So Mary Fowler, Kyra Cooney-Cross, Courtney Nevin, Jessica Nash. There's some quite good names there, not to mention some names that we're familiar with in the A-League women's competition too. So... Uh, that first game, Costa Rica versus Australia, that's big. That is big. Uh, another big thing coming up is the Paris Olympics, and we need to give a big shout-out to Tony Vidmar, who's been appointed Oli Roo's boss uh, through that uh, that cycle, Michael. So Vidmar uh, was himself an Oli Roo back in 1992. Uh, so a, a little, a good little bit of yes, Australian culture sort of coming full circle here. Uh, Tony and his brother Aurelio have been... Uh, not only magnificent servants to Australian footballers, players, but as sort of understated coaches as well. They're not ones who sort of seek the limelight, a lot of backroom uh, backroom sort of stuff. Uh, Aurelio over in Thailand having another go at Asian football. He's crafted out a, a very, very respectable career over there that we probably don't celebrate enough. Uh, and now another chapter for Tony on the, the biggest, or not quite the biggest, but from an underage level, the biggest stage. Yes, he's going to be taking the under-23 men's national football team 
in its bid to qualify for Paris 2024. He's going to be assisted by Trevor Morgan, who's had, who's currently the technical director at Football Australia, who's had a big uh, role in overseeing their pathway. Obviously, um, this Asian Cup uh, in Uzbekistan um, coming up. Um, not sure exactly when it is. Uh, we'll look at that. It's August. People know maybe. next week. August maybe isn't. Yeah. So that is. Um, a pretty exciting time for Tony Vidmar, who was one of that great generation. The 1992 Olympics, uh, who could forget uh, the Ollie Roos taking the world by storm? And um, that included uh, the great Ned Zelich. Oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Great stuff, Michael. Plenty of stuff happening in the, uh, plenty of things happening in the Australian game. Uh, as always, on the other side of this, a chat I'm very much looking forward to. Kieran Devlin, he's been part of the Box to Box family for pretty much the whole journey since Ange Postacoglu uh, was appointed in June. It started with the trepidation, who is this Aussie guy that we've signed to, oh, this guy knows what he's doing, to this guy's an absolute star. And now he is a Scottish champion. We'll chat to Kieran Devlin from The Athletic about that next. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Well, the Australian football public knew it was only a matter of time, but we didn't quite know that it happened this quickly. Ange Postacoglu has turned Celtic Football Club around, overhauling a 25-point deficit from second place last season, and on Thursday morning our time, sealed the Scottish Premiership with a game to spare. The Athletics' Kieran Devlin has been with us throughout the journey, and it's a true thrill, Kieran, to welcome you back to the show on such a momentous day, both for Celtic and Australian football. How are you, mate? I'm good. It's a, it's a thrill to be back uh, on this uh, yeah, pretty special day. Uh, absolutely knackered. Didn't get back home um, until about one in the morning, but uh, absolutely worthwhile. Uh, really, really lovely. And it was an away game to Dundee at Tannadice that uh, sealed the deal with a one-all draw, but half the stadium was packed in green and white. It looked like a, a home match to uh, take us inside the uh, stadium for a little bit of the atmosphere. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's quite funny. The, the press box um, is just at, at, at the top, but um, it's almost like an ad a mini dugout that sort of relies on um, the fans sitting down and obviously those fans uh, were not going to sit down at any point during the game so <laughs> just have, we, could, we could only watch about half the game <laughs> um, as it was but um, yeah it was a really special atmosphere maybe a bit tense towards the end where um, they weren't, Celtic weren't particularly good in the second half and Dundee United could have, could have, could have won it but uh, as soon as the whistle went it was just really special scenes um, I think the connection between Ange and the players and the fans has been has grown to be something really quite phenomenal over the course of the season and you can sense that you could really feel that uh, love and that connection um, at full time and the way they were interacting with each other. Celtic have won 10 of the last 11 titles but after what was a pretty humbling season last season uh, listening to Callum McGregor at, at full time and, and a few of the fans around it seems like this one just means a little bit more would you say that's a fair assessment? Ab- absolutely absolutely. Um, I do think a large there's there's various factors I think that contributed to it. as you say last season because last season was so so poor um, it's it really made this uh, quite quite uh, special but I do think that the thing is Ange and the players the type of football they're playing the the character that Ange is the the hunger the desire and the entertainment value the players are giving this is like a really well liked. Uh, team that you know, the fans have this connection with it. You know, people were and in the various Celtic fan WhatsApps and everything. People are speculating or was like comparing it to the great Brendan Rodgers teams, the great Martin O'Neill's teams. Maybe you know, maybe they haven't done as much um, in silverware or impact in Europe as those sides yet. But in terms of their connection with uh, the manager and players, 
I think it just adds a bit something a bit more. Yeah, it's something special. I know, you know, I just chatted to loads of fans and people around the club. They really, really desperately wanted to win this title because of that connection. They, they felt it was like a validation of what Ange's building, of all these new players who have gelled together so quickly. And I think, you know, people are making the point that Postgoglu spent a lot of money. and He has, but he's had to rebuild an entire team from scratch. And 25 million spread across 16 players is you know is not not too bad, especially considering as many as eight or nine of these new players are starting this the same team. So to win a league title when it's literally a brand new team, it's yeah, it's it's, it's pretty incredible. And there's been there's, it's one of my, my favourite uh, seasons following Celtic, and I imagine many many others are in the same boat. Clearly, uh, Andy's not going to rest on his laurels here. There's. Um, work to do. Uh, we've seen a bit of a resurgence from Rangers and we'll, we'll talk about what they've been doing in a moment. Um, but um, what do you think is the brief for Ange coming into this summer? He's got the full summer now. Does he have to improve the squad and, and where do you think his head will be for that? Ange is a very ambitious guy and I, th- I imagine he's going to be absolutely savouring the prospect of Champions League football next season. It'll be Celtics the first time they've qualified automatically for the Champions League since 2008 um, and not having to go through very, very tricky European qualifiers at the start of July. Um, it just makes things so much easier, both because the club know budget-wise they can plan um, for next season without having to worry about whether they had, you know, they're planning for a Europa League budget or a Champions League budget. Um, and you know, it's also like the first time players have had pretty long, you know, it's seven weeks between the final game of the season um, against Mother One Saturday and their first pre-season game. That's a long time to rest and recuperate. And you look at some of the some of the, the Japanese players especially who have been, you know, Idiguchi, there's maybe question marks over him, but Maeda, Hatati and Kyogo have been absolutely sensational. Like, uh, all transformative signings, but they have been playing 18 months of... <laughs> relentless football because they played a full season in Japan um, before before coming over without a break. Um, so I think with a proper break, they'll be ready to go. But I, I imagine it's not going to be as busy a summer this year as last. I think I know there's got three priority positions as a right winger, a left back and a ball playing centre half. Um, I, I imagine there might be two or three more positions they'll try and recruit on top of that. But I do think it's more just about strengthening the starting eleven and the strength and depth as well. What I'm quite curious to see is, you know, all that extra time in the training ground and how that can contribute to the challenge of Champions League football next year. Because, uh, as we as we all know, he's not Ange isn't going to compromise his style of play, whether that's against Ross County or it's against Manchester City. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how we, uh, uh, you know, how Celtic handle that 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 step up and that transition. Because I do think maybe Europe, if there is going to be a downside to this season, it has been progress in Europe. But I think that's where his head will be because he wants to test himself and prove himself as a great, a great manager, um, which we all know he is. But I think he wants to like prove himself at the highest level. So I'm quite, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see how he hand- handles the challenge of the Champions League. In terms of where Ange Postecoglou might sit in the pantheon of um, celebrated uh, Australia. Astra- uh, Celtic managers, do you, do you think he's already got a godlike status there? Do you think there'll be banners of him at the behind the goal for years to come, or you know, do you think there's there's still a little bit more he needs to do to to really get get to that kind of top table of legendary managers? 
he's a lot of fans' favourite manager, just purely based on his, his likability, his, his way to connect with the fans, the, the fact that he understands that football is their lives in a way that maybe some past managers haven't. Um, and obviously, as a football obsessive himself, that he intuitively understands. And I think a lot because he is so likable, because he is the style of play is so entertaining and so exciting that endures fans. And obviously, two trophies in your debut season is a pretty good start. I do, I do think like he has, he has like one one foot in the door of of legend status. I think there is just a lot of excitement about what happens next. Um, you know, I I, I really think like. You know whether he stays. Who knows what might happen after next season if he does a good job and uh, like a big Premier League team comes in or a big uh, Champions League team on the continent comes in. But I, I, I think next season could be a really um, special chapter on trying to you know uh, consolidate <laughs> his legend status. But at the moment, absolutely, I do think there's he is because he is so beloved. I think people will hold. Well, they will remember this season f- forever because it, I. It, you can't really overstate how much of a challenge he had when he came in, when he basically, everyone was at a, a serious low point. He had 12 first-team players leaving, including all but one of your best players and your talismanic captain. Um, and to turn around as he has, I think, yeah, people really, really res- respect and adore what he's done here. Um, but there's also that just real excitement for next season. I think it was, you know, what with him, with Brisbane Roar, um, with with Marinos, and also, I guess, arguably, with the, the Aussie national team as well. It's always been the second campaign where it's really clicked and he's done something special. So um, I think, yeah, people are really excited about what comes next. Kieran, let's take you back to Ange's appointment. There was a lot of ridicule. I think Alan Brazil uh, down in London um Called in Ange Postacoglu, who um, so there was uh, there was much ridicule that the Celtic fans had to endure when he was appointed, and even um, some of the Celtic faithful were a little bit underwhelmed by his appointment at the time. So um, I'm sure you're not surprised that here in Australia um, the fans have been uh, on social media reminding some of the media who. <laughs> who um, well and truly got stuck into the appointment. But uh, what's it been like in um, Scotland? Is, is, is that come through in any of the reporting or the, or the um, you know, the post-game banter between the fans, just that, um, you know, he is the real deal now? And, I mean, you've just, um, uh, just in the last answer, you've, you've, you've pretty much um, endorsed him. You've referenced uh, Marinos titles. You've refer- referenced... Brisbane Roar, you missed out on South Melbourne Hellas, but uh, you got in his Asian uh, Cup winning uh, title with the Socceroos as well. So um, do the European football media now absolutely recognise him as a first-rate world-class coach? Um, maybe not the European football uh, media, but I think the, the, the British media have certainly cottoned on. Um, I, I think like, just uh, because the, the place I work for is... Um, London-based, um, and it's been interesting chatting to a lot of the guys about this. And you know, when the I think there's one our, our tactics writer Michael Cox, he hadn't watched, he's never watched the Postecoglou team before until he watched Celtic's three 0 win over Rangers in February and was blown away by the the football played. And I think people have sort of. Yeah, they've they've caught on to that that this guy is is really really talented. I I do think as a 
I think it's all about the Champions League next year. I do think he will be judged by how his, this team plays in, in there and in Europe. You know, um, I think there's always going to be a degree of uh, condescension, which <laughs> you guys can certainly relate to <laughs> after after um, after last summer about uh, when you know winning trophies in Scotland versus doing something in Europe or you know winning a trophy in one of the top five leagues. Um, but I think there's been a mass. It's been a massive step. There will always be a degree of snobbery, even xenophobia, about it as it was at the start, and there still is because it's not. Um, there's a lot of people who have been proven wrong, and rather than by admitting they got it wrong, and that Andy's a great player, sort of a great manager. Sorry, he, they've uh, doubled down and just said, "Oh, he spent a lot of money. He's not that good." Um, so I think it's just you always get a few uh, bad apples. But I do think his, his reputation is enhanced. Significantly, and I do hope you know. I guess like part of his 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 project was to showcase the 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 level of quality and intelligence in Australian and more broadly Asian and Australasian football. And I think he sees that as part of his responsibility to prove to prove that. And he's if if that is the case, then he's he's made massive massive inroads so far. And as I say. Europe next season. Can't wait. Well, Kieran, it's been great to have you as part of our show this season, and this is just the perfect way to cap things off. Huge things already achieved, and as you say, it does feel like there's plenty more to come. So we look forward to having you on again next season, and uh, we'll discuss a few famous European nights. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on. Kieran Devlin from The Athletic there. Stick around on the other side of this. Always plenty more to discuss on Stoppage Time. Box to box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box. This is stoppage time. Derek, you're still with us there, and we're going to kick off with uh, the UEFA Champions League. We are going to get an expansion after all, coming in from 2024, 2025. We're going to be up from 32 to 36 clubs. Now, Michael and I went through and News One where those new clubs are going to come from and how they're sort of going to be qualified for the Champions League. But once the Champions League actually starts, there's going to be a new format as well. What do you make of it? Well, I think it's the Super League in Champions League clothing, unfortunately, mm. gents. Uh, um, you know, this is the response to the European Super League. You know, the clubs haven't gone away. Uh, it's giving essentially two of the uh, the top um, two top ranking coefficients, which generally are the the top leagues. Although it should be noted that if it was currently based on this season, Eredivisie would get a um, an extra place along with the Premier League. So in that scenario, Arsenal and Tottenham wouldn't be duking it out over. A Champions League place because we'd both we'd both be going, um, but essentially it's designed to get two additional big clubs into the tournament. And yes, they've paid a little bit of lip service to some of the uh, some of the other the other leagues, and they've the Champions Path as they call it. So giving another place to another uh, winner of maybe one of the lesser nations. But in terms of the actual format itself, leaving that aside. I'd, I wonder if it's overly complex. I actually quite like the group stage as it stands. And maybe there is a little bit of me, which is just old man syndrome. Why why are we changing things? I don't like change. But I just think it's kind of meaningless. If all the teams aren't all playing each other in this kind of super group, um, what does that, you know, what does it actually mean? What it does mean is that, you know, for example, Real Madrid will play eight group games instead of six group games. And so will Liverpool and so will Man City and so will... Barcelona and the people that will qualify for this. 
Um, and that obviously allows them to make more money uh, from TV revenue and the like before we go back into the traditional uh, knockout phase. So a long answer to a short question, Willem, which is, no, I don't like it. I think it stinks. I prefer the old way. And uh, Edge, I don't know if you're going to challenge me on that. 189 matches versus 125. Uh, what they call in this uh, model, the Swiss model, Um more matches mean more revenue. There's no doubt about that. And I, I do agree with your comment that um, this is your way for definitely uh, appeasing the clubs that were well and truly um, slapped around the ears during the Super League fiasco. So it's definitely a compromise between what probably uh, your wafer thought they should have had versus what they uh, they needed to do to reward the, um, the big clubs. So, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I what I did pick up too, Derek, is that uh, there's going to be a dedicated week for um, UEFA competitions as well. So uh, I don't like that. Um, that means that uh, you know, it's just sort of encroaching on the integrity of the um, the, the national competitions and uh, national club competitions. So, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely with you. Um, eight league-style matches will be spread over 10 weeks Um and obviously, it will mean that the Champions League, Europa League, and Europa Conference League will all have an exclusive week dedicated to their tournament. So, yeah, um, uh, football, the times are a changing, Derek. That, well, they are. It also just means that it's probably easier. Well, put it this way it's harder for the teams in that super group, the big teams, to not qualify. Like, there's a lot more scope for them to get out of that and get into the last 16 last eight so it's also designed as a bit of a uh, a bit of extra for them too because it's definitely not designed for sheriff or whoever to qualify uh, you know there's enough games enough time for a narrative to to change and william i suppose one club that is will be looking at the champions league and has a bit of a love-hate relationship with the Champions League, of course, is Manchester City. Um, we've spoken for a few weeks now about the rumours that uh, Erling Braut Haaland will join City and, and that um, deal has now actually finally happened and, and you would think now that they are ready for a, a you know, a, a real tilt now. If they can't win the Champions League with this squad and him up front and, and Pep as a manager, I'm not quite sure what else they're going to need to do. But... I must admit, um, I don't feel a lot of emotion for this deal. In fact, it it leaves me a little bit cold inside. I don't know why. I don't know. It's just maybe that you've got well, the, probably the best young player in the world going to Manchester City. It just puts more power in their court. It you know, obviously will make Borussia Dortmund more le- less competitive. And to be fair, for $75 million pounds, that in today's money, that is actually a bit of a snip for a for a player of Haaland's standard. Um, yeah. Edge, I think you've got some other stuff on Haaland and another group of players. But you know, what do you make of this? Why City and why now for Haaland? I mean, we know he wants to play for Real Madrid. Do you feel like he's doing this because he feels like he could spend a few seasons as City, but there's still the opportunity to then go and play for a so-called one of the more heritage sides? Well, I think he's doing it for £500,000 a week. I think that's a good reason. Um, you know, we look, he's a battering ram. Uh, he's six foot four inches tall. They haven't had a striker like this before Manchester City. He could just be the thing that really turns them into a super, super, super club. I uh, was really interested in Alan Shearer's comments. He said he thinks he'll score 40 goals easy 
40 goals or more. I mean, um, he said uh, he, he loves his presence, his physicality, his burst of speed over the first three or four yards and his understanding of when and where to run. He said um, with the players that are surrounding him, he will be a instant hit. You know, that was Alan Shearer's um, comments on the transfer. And it really does throw down the mantle to the other big uh, super Middle Eastern financial powerhouse, Newcastle United. Just how are they going to respond and where are they going to get a, a player? Where are they going to get, you know, their six or seven players that they need to uh, become a, a top four, top five threat. But I think it's a massive signing. Um, I'll probably look at it a little differently to you, Derek. I, I just think that he's a super talent. And I think in that team, he could be absolutely anything. And I tend to agree with Alan Shearer. I think um, he's going to score a lot of goals. Certainly the big match coming up this week uh, from an English perspective, Derek, is the FA Cup final, one of the biggest games around. Liverpool against Chelsea will be 1am Sunday uh, Australian time. Can you leave us with a, uh, a prediction? Because given it looks like the league has probably slipped away from Liverpool, I mean, you never discount a twist in the tail, but it does look like the league's getting away from them. Does this take on a little bit more importance? I wonder whether it's a more important game. I, I, I posed this to Rob before he, he fell ill today to say that is this a a less important game because, you know, the quadruple is kind of going over the horizon now. And, you know, the FA Cup was obviously a key game for them in a quadruple season. I think obviously with the league, I mean, it's not over, but the league kind of disappearing that clearly the Champions League final is, is the priority. But look, I, I think Klopp and his team go into every game and every tournament to win it. Um, you know, we mentioned last week that Liverpool have now and are going to play every game available in every competition this season, which I think is a pretty special, yeah. special thing. Even if they, do, even if they're not going to win the the league title, and it's only an, an unbelievable season from Manchester City, and in, in you know many of the other Premier League seasons, Liverpool would be already be champions by by now. I'm going to put a case for potentially Chelsea winning this game and I wonder I wonder what 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 the rest of you think and just trying to play the devil's advocate they had a morale boosting win during the week um Chelsea have pedigree in terms of upsetting the odds in major finals you only need to look at last year in the Champions League final they certainly weren't favorites for that game and and they turned it around uh, under Tuchel and then yeah add that Liverpool um scenario with the uh, the squad with the quad fading um, I wonder whether Chelsea could edge this one edge. Do, do you think there's any chance this could happen? Uh, there is a chance of it, but I'm thinking that Liverpool um, will uh, take this one home. And um, I just think they've got a little bit more, too much class for Chelsea and uh, they'll get the job done. And Michael, in one minute, there is some news out of the USA on both Hope Solo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, I want to start with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He was asked um, some questions in a recent press conference about his time in the MLS, and I thought it was just uh, we'd let Zlatan's words speak for themselves. He said, I'm very happy. I'm very thankful for MLS because they gave me the chance to feel alive. But the problem was I was still too alive. So I was too good for the whole competition. That is what I showed, and I'm the best ever to play in the MLS. And it's not me having ego or trying to show off. That is true. And when I was there, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. And I liked the way they were working, the way they were doing the marketing stuff. And I think playing in MLS was the best way for me to come back after my injury. I was in the best condition ever. And I'm very proud I played in the MLS because 
they were saying to me that before I played, the stadiums were empty. But when I played, the stadiums were full. There was no empty stadiums when I was playing. It was even overbooked. So I cannot complain. And I was very happy I was there. Is that just uh, the, the most beautiful words that you could uh, possibly imagine coming out of Zlatan's uh, mouth, Willem? What a tool. Derek, you've got the last word. Yeah, we always like to leave this segment with maybe something a, a, a little bit different. And I I think we've buried the lead here, gents. The, the biggest football story of this week, of course, has been the unfolding of the saga known as Wagatha Christie. Uh, this is um, Rebecca Vardy's libel case against... Uh, uh, Colleen Rooney, of course, uh, uh, quickly for our listeners, a reminder that um, Colleen Rooney supposedly outed Rebecca Vardy for leaking personal stories that were only available on her very private Instagram accounts and selling them to national newspapers. And she used a cunning technique to work out who the culprit was. And Rebecca Vardy uh, has, has pushed back on that and said, no, it wasn't, wasn't me, although... She has conceded that because her agent had access to the account, that she may also have she may have, have done it. Um, and but she's still she's still suing for libel. And look, we obviously have to be very very careful with this one. Are the, the Agatha Christie music? Thank you. But be careful with this one because they might she might come around and libel us next. But I think it's very very clear what's going on here. It, I think that the her and her agent have been caught to, caught to rights. Um, and it, and it sounds like it hasn't just been this Colin Rooney. She's been selling um, information about Danny Drinkwater, about Rayad Mares, and about all of his teammates. And I wouldn't be surprised if Colin Rooney wins. So, gents, that is the big story in football this week and uh, a good chance to play the, the Quiro theme tune. Thank you very much, Derek. Always covering the big stories. Thank you for your contribution this week. No, thanks, gents, over the COVID. So back on form. Fantastic to hear. And to Michael Edgley, thank you. Thank you, Willem. Well done uh, for your first uh, um, journey in the uh, host seat tonight, Willem. You've done very, very well. We'll, um, we'll give you a big tick in that box. It's another one down. Hey, three and a half years in the show and finally into the big chair. And to Rob Gilbert, thinking of you, all the best there. Look forward to some, uh, some positive news and to having you back in the, uh, the host seat where you belong next week. To the listeners, thank you. Please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And of course, join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.